0: Marine Corps and Air Force pilot Larry Colby shares the ins and outs of becoming an author of military aviation thrillers. Coming up next, I'm Veteran on the Move.
1: Welcome to Veteran on the Move. If you're a veteran in transition, an entrepreneur wannabe,
0: or someone still stuck in that J-O-B trying to escape, this podcast is dedicated to your success. And now, your host, Joe Crane always great doing business with Navy Federal because they understand the military mission and the needs of the military family. So if you're looking for ways to save more each month, look no further. Navy Federal Credit Union offers members great ways to lower their interest rates and save more. Check them out at NavyFederal.org. All right, today we're talking with Marine veteran Lawrence A. Colby, call sign Cheese. Colby, you're a, uh, or a excuse me cheese you're a thriller author and your website is colby aviation thriller so before we get to talking you got some great stories you and i are both marine cobra pilots we were in squadrons you know right next to each other on the flight we line were. out on the west yeah. coast yeah we know all mm-hmm. the same people so it's great to talk to a fellow marine cobra pilot today so before we get to doing all that um take take us back and let everybody know what you did in the marine corps and, and you also had some time in the air force reserve after the marine corps
1: I did. So thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me on. Uh, so the Whiskey Model Cobra, fantastic helicopter. Uh, started flying it in 1996, and I was in HMLA 369, the gunfighters. Uh, my peer group is 1992, and uh, I flew them for about four or five years, two deployments to Okinawa. Uh, my ground tour was at Officer Candidate School in Quantico, uh, followed by an aide-de-camp tour. And I found it to be a thrilling, thrilling uh, career, just like you, yeah. uh, and loved it.
0: Yeah. it's good. It's a great machine, sexy, sexy machine. Looks sexy, sounds sexy. So, yeah. Um, unfortunately, they've moved on to the Zulu model of the Cobra, and uh, I'm not really sure what if it's yeah. ever happened in aviation history. We've we've reached the end of the alphabet uh, with an aircraft because they 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 alternate between the Huey Huey and the Cobra with the letters, the Yankee. Y model Huey and the Z model Cobra sure it's the end of the alphabet for the Huey and the Cobra so I don't I don't know what happens if you go back and go to double a or if you're just not allowed to go any farther
1: you know I think the next step is unmanned (laughs) which is a shame because half the fun of being in the flying squadrons were the guys
0: oh I know it's crazy yeah um yeah, it's happening in civilian aviation too. So yeah. So, what was, your, um, what was your transition like? You, you left the Marine Corps and actually went into the Air Force
1: Reserve flying also. I did. So multiple things happened. Um, m- my wife donated a kidney to her mother. Oh. Um, my mother-in-law had an allergic reaction to uh, a certain over-the-counter medicine. My wife was a compatible donor. And so I volunteered to come out of the cockpit and take a non-flying tour. Um, then I decided to be a seven through 12 social studies or history teacher. Uh, and I figured, you know, the war in Iraq is getting big and there's no Marine reserve units for Cobras in Western New York where we were living. And I'd still like to continue to serve. And there's a C C-130 unit here Uh. in the air force reserve. And so I gave them a call and went and shook some hands and I was brought in and hired. And so I was able to contribute as a reservist, which is big for my books. Uh, I focused on the reserves and I became a C-130 pilot. And there was so much work uh, moving beans, bullets, and Band-Aids around that I made it a full-time job. And so the transition from uh, one service to the other, called an inter-service transfer, was pretty smooth. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. And so, you, and then you, and you spent the rest of your career in the Air Force Reserve and,
1: and ended up retiring out of the Air Force Reserve, right? I did. Uh, I was 12 years Marine Corps and 16 years Air Force Reserve, total of 28. No kidding. Wow,
0: that's awesome. So yeah. um, talk to us about how you got into uh, authoring books. Is it, was, it, was that kind of a thing you'd always wanted to do, or were you doing some of that when you were still in?
1: I did. I wrote a couple of articles for the Marine Corps Gazette, and then I would make some notes on guys that you and I both know and have flown with that are real characters. <laughs> I mean, they have some unique personalities oh, yeah. and then, uh, all of us, all veterans have had unique experiences. And I noticed in all of the military thriller novels that most folks are probably familiar with, none of them focus on reserves, the reserve component, all mm. the characters are from the active component. Yeah. And so I knew that there was a missing gap there. And so I made stories that revolve around reservists and uh, all my stories that involve espionage and aviation are reserve component characters.
0: Yeah. Interesting. So were you collecting lots of notes and, uh, and small writings over the years before you actually tried to put it into your first book?
1: I was. In fact, uh, I remember being an aide-de-camp and waiting for the general officer who I worked with. And I'd just make some notes on things that I saw. And they would consist of perhaps a, a Secret Service motorcade or some Washington red tape bureaucracy that I saw. And if I combined that with some of my experiences from flying, I had the start of a novel. And uh, and I'm sure that we'll discuss it, but I would get up at four in the morning and write one or two pages a day for a year. Mm-hmm. And after a year, I'd have a, a five to 600 page novel on my hands.
0: So, so let's talk about that. Cause I've had a number of military authors on the show over the years. And that's always one thing I'm curious about is how do you, where do you find the discipline and the time to actually pull a full blown book out of your head and so obviously getting up early and setting a goal of one to two pages a day was, was your MO and it actually worked
1: for you. And sometimes it would get out of hand because I'd have a day job and I would want to write more than the two pages and I would get excited about a certain chapter or scene and I'd be late for my shower to get going with my day. <laughs> uh, it, it all starts with a rough outline. Uh, I wouldn't stick to it because you never knew where the story would go uh, and I would be influenced by current events, which I like to include in my stories. Uh-huh. Uh, and that process would also include going to real places. I've been to India a number of times, so I include that. Uh, I've been on cruises, I include that. Uh, if I go to a a cool uh, mom and pop restaurant or bar with a craft beer, I'll include that. So I try to bring some uh, realism to it.
0: Yeah, so somebody reading your book might oh, this, that's the restaurant down at uh, 12th and Main. Oh, that's a real thing. So you you got a lot of bits and pieces of real, and then you connect mm-hmm. a lot of the dots with some you know, fiction or embellishment.
1: That is exactly right. Uh, <laughs> it's all fiction, but there are certainly some real locations from Hilton Head to Buffalo, New York, uh, to places in China. Um, I've also included real pilots that you and I know. Uh-huh. I get their permission and I'll put their call signs in the book. Really? Those are real guys. Interesting.
0: Yeah. Um, so, so can we talk about your first book? Um, yeah. Which one, which one was that?
1: The first book is devil dragon pilot. Devil dragon it's the pilot. first of three. Yeah.
0: Okay. It's a series of three or so far. Yes. Um, yes. So where did you come up with the idea for that specific book or was, did it just kind
1: of come about over time? It came about over time. Uh, and this might be interesting uh, I wanted to do a story about a, a secret stealth bomber from a certain country. Uh-huh. But everybody can write or talk about the technology. I wanted to mix it in with a unique human aspect. And so I invented a Chinese pilot character that happened to be best friends with a U.S. pilot character, which is unique. That doesn't happen. Yeah. Why would a U.S have a best friend with China just doesn't exist in any stories. So I knew that was unique. And then second, I don't want to ruin it in case someone is going to read the book, but one of them develops terminal cancer Mm. and has to deal with potentially losing his best friend. And uh, there's a human dynamic to it that uh, a lot of veterans will relate to because we unfortunately have lost so many through the years of uh, fighting.
0: Yeah. Interesting. And then, So you get the basic idea and you just pull it in and and you've been able to pull in uh, appropriate stuff uh, um, from your notes and uh, observations over the years and create a a stream of consciousness somehow out of that.
1: That's right. And um, I'll often have beta readers, Uh both family and friends. I'll have technical reviewers. Uh, Certainly there's the review at the Pentagon, which we can chat about. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I keep the books clean. I'm pretty limited on, uh, curse words, et cetera, because I find a lot of my readers are high schoolers Hmm. and they use my books for book reports.
0: Oh, really? (laughs)
1: Yeah. Which (laughs) is a unique set of, uh, fans that I had not known about when I first started. So they're
0: doing book reports. Are they doing book report? They realize it's not actually true history, right? (laughs) That's
1: correct. So, uh, the book reports are usually done uh, under fiction and for English. Uh And I've even had a a young student sent me a poster board that he made of what he thought the places looked like in his mind for China, of what the airplane might've looked like uh, through drawings. So there's some interesting students out there.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. Um, It's a good stopping point. We're going to take a quick break for sponsorship and we'll be right back. So hold on. Thank you. Navy Federal understands the military mission and the needs of the military family, and that's why we've stuck with them for over 30 years. They also have great business accounts. We have all of our business accounts with Navy Federal. Highly recommended. And if you're looking for ways to save more each month, look no further. Navy Federal Credit Union offers members great ways to lower their interest rates and save more. By refinancing your auto loan with Navy Federal Credit Union, you could have more money in your monthly budget. You'll enjoy low rates and flexible payments and terms, plus, when you refi your auto loan from another lender with Navy Federal, you'll get $200. Members save more when they refi with Navy Federal. Enjoy low rates and flexible payments and terms. It's easy to drive off and save. At Navy Federal, members of the mission. Apply online or via the mobile app. Visit NavyFederal.org to learn more. Terms and conditions apply. Insured by NCUA. Credit and collateral subject to approval. Refinanced loan must be at least $5,000 to be eligible for the 200 All right, we're back talking with Marine veteran and Air Force Reserve veteran Larry Colby, call sign Cheese. So Cheese, before the break, um, you mentioned the Pentagon screening process, and this has been discussed a couple times on the show with previous military authors. What 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 do military authors need to be aware of if they are going to get into the publishing business, especially if they're going to publish something that's military related and could be infringing on that security issue?
1: Yeah. So if anybody in the military is interested in uh, fiction or nonfiction by letter of the law, we all just signed non-disclosure agreements. And so what that means is we have to submit our manuscripts for review at the pre-publication review, a formal review process at the Pentagon. And it's someone's job there to literally review every page of what you are considering publishing. And I've had to go through it for uh, all three of my books They've taken as little as three weeks and as long as 17 months to review. And just because you uh, are an aspiring author and have found a source that's unclassified or mm-hmm. open source doesn't necessarily mean that you can publish it. And so that has gotten many veterans into some hot water. Yeah. And so I make sure that I, I follow that process.
0: And have you, have they actually made modifications or taken some things out of your
1: books? Absolutely. Really? um I, I often tell this one story to friends and I'll, I'll be happy to tell it now in one of my books, I wrote about a certain aircraft doing a certain function at a certain location. Mm -hmm. And, uh, the review process said, you can't do that. Mm -hmm. And I had tried to argue that said, this is an open source aircraft. It's capabilities are completely open. It's off of a dot mil website. It's from your website. Uh, and they said, "You can't write this uh you're gonna have to change it and of course, I did huh. The reader would never know that, but veterans would know if they were to read it in a yeah secure environment
0: yeah, interesting um and and oftentimes um you know that's the one that gets people a lot where you take a lot of different information from open source stuff that's in the public domain. But if you put it all together in a certain way, it becomes sensitive at that point. So, absolutely.
1: And so, um, Joe, my second book is titled uh, "The Black Scorpion Pilot," and that story derived from reading a Homeland Security report, where Homeland Security subject matter experts were able remotely to tap in to a seven five seven cockpit, and adjust the avionics remotely. And so you can imagine as a pilot, we think we're doing a certain command navigating to a certain location and you're really not. And so I thought, wow, you can actually cyber hijack an aircraft remotely without ever being on the airplane now. And that was a story.
0: Yeah. Scary. And they let you publish that one.
1: They did, and so that's the book that took me seventeen months because it involved such heavy cyber. Oh wow! And a seventeen-month review is quite long, but certainly we all have to do that. Uh, I wasn't ready to publish without that permission slip.
0: Right? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, you know, author beware, uh, especially if you're a right. author, you got to follow that process. As please do. Inconvenient as it may be. So, um, all right, geez. So, talk to us about the business aspects of writing a book. I mean. I think when people focus on, I, I'm going to become an author, I'm going to start writing material, they think of the writing aspects of it, which is important. Mm-hmm. Obviously you have to get that part right, but there's so much more on an entrepreneurial set, side of things to becoming a successful author. So talk about some of the things you learned early on in the process and how you've, sure. you share know, marketing and
1: salesmanship and everything else. Absolutely. So there is plenty more than just writing the book. And that's what often gets overlooked by aspiring authors I spend probably 50 to 60% of my time in some type of marketing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, luckily Amazon is such a great organization to work with for an aspiring author or an author like me who just is able to push out some novels. They're print on demand. As many veterans may know, I don't have a a basement full of paperbacks. When a customer purchases the book, that's when the financial transaction goes through. Amazon keeps a certain percentage. I keep a certain percentage. Uh, For example, a paperback price is determined by Amazon based upon the page count. If it has a color cover, the weight for shipping. And so it's very scientific, very business oriented Mm -hmm. uh, on what price they come up with. Um, Certainly Mm -hmm. I have someone that designs my covers. That's an additional expense, social media, I have uh, promotional videos made by one of your sponsors, Fiverr.com. Yeah. Uh, I utilize them. Yep, and use Fiverr all the time. It, absolutely. Amazing. Uh, they're a great organization. And someone like me uses them because I don't have the knowledge or the time to build. So uh-huh. I, I leverage other folks. And so those are additional business expenses. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd also add that uh, I was able to uh, leverage the veteran community, and they were able to do word of mouth. Otherwise I'd have to spend additional funds on marketing. Uh-huh. Uh, luckily veterans are very jovial and they talk to one another and they do book recommendations and that's mm-hmm. how I was able to take off.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I had a question, quick question on the um, publish on demand. If, some, mm-hmm. if somebody, if I click buy the book right now on Amazon, how long does it take them to print the book and send it to me?
1: Instantaneously. Uh, it depends on where you live in the world. Uh, certainly if uh, you had a Kindle, it would be downloaded immediately. If Uh you wanted print and you had prime and you lived near one of their printing presses, you'd be able to get it probably within hours.
0: So the printer just almost as soon as you click buy, the printer almost spools up and prints the book like that, which is crazy. Yeah. That's amazing.
1: Yeah. Amazon doesn't have a gazillion books on their shelves. Um, They print on demand, which is, I mean, an excellent idea on their end. It saves them space, so they have plenty of data storage.
0: So they're not even printing, they don't keep like one or two already printed, ready to go, and then print one once the once their supply goes to zero or something like that. It's literally well, on demand.
1: Well, that's an interesting point, Joe, because uh, I'm sure they know where my fans are, because I do. I'm able to see the demographics behind the scenes on my Facebook site, Instagram, Twitter. I'm able to see... For example, uh, most of my fans are down in the Southeast United States, the Northeast, and around the LA, San Diego area. Hmm. I'm sure if someone's in the Central United States, they might not have as many books as those other areas I mentioned.
0: Mm -hmm. Interesting. So um, do you spend a lot of time uh, doing book signings and that kind of stuff, or is most of your stuff done remotely?
1: I love them. I love doing in person. Barnes & Noble is a terrific partner. I love going to their stores, certainly pre-virus. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have to say the most fun that I have in uh, really some fantastic folks is at the Smithsonian Air and Space Museum. Mm. I've done a number of book signings there. It's a terrific captive audience of fans, uh, veterans, and aviation fans alike. Uh-huh. Um, and I spend a lot of time there because I live in the D.C. area, and they always set up a nice table sign hundreds of books there. It works out great. Wow. That's awesome.
0: So what kind of, uh, uh, marketing tactics or, um, all the different things you've tried? Do you've, is one thing work particularly well for you? Is it, is it the book signing that works the best or is it
1: just Amazon in general? So book signings work to meet some of the fans and I get great feedback uh, they tell me if they really love a character or they hate a character, they tell me they, they like stories or I get a lot of, wow, I cried at the end of both your books that works okay for marketing. I think that social media ads on Twitter and Facebook work great. And then Amazon has unbelievable way to place an ad uh, based upon previous books that a customer may have purchased. Mm. So you can target your audience. For example, if someone bought a Tom Clancy or a Jack Carr book, mm-hmm. they also might like a Lawrence A. Colby book. Uh, okay.
0: And are you doing most of this stuff yourself or you know, with a little bit of help from Fiverr folks or, or do you actually have people doing that for you?
1: So the, I utilize, um, 99% of the time myself, mm-hmm. uh, just recently I was, uh, entered a business agreement with the real book spy and they're able to act as my editor and do some marketing for me. And, uh, Ryan, the gentleman who runs the real book spy is the all knowing wizard behind the curtain gentleman who hit, helps all the big time authors. And I'm lucky to, to learn from him. Wow. That's interesting.
0: What is it typically in, in a, in a novel type, uh, author situation, what is it that that makes a bestseller? Is there a, a, a magic formula?
1: I like to think about it as someone who's writing from experience. Now, I, I referred to Tom Clancy earlier. Earlier, He was a great writer, but mm-hmm. he also sold insurance for a living. Huh. Right? He never sat in a cockpit like we did. Yeah. And so I like to think when, when I write, someone like you who has also sat in the cockpit and experienced combat would be like, wow, this guy writes from the heart because he did it. He wore the flight suit.
0: Right.
1: And I, I like to think that that helps with the authenticity of being an author. Uh, I've yeah, actually absolutely. rode the hallways of Capitol Hill all the way to the Pentagon and, and sweat my flight suit out in the Middle East and in other areas, and I, you can't replicate that. Mm-hmm veterans would probably relate to that because we have done it.
0: Yeah. You know, that's what one of Clancy's accolades, many accolades was he sold insurance for a living, but, but you would never know it. Like he was so good at right. writing. He somehow figured out to write it in a way that seemed like he was there doing it. And that's why he would became so popular. Cause. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Now there's a number of authors out there that, right from their experience as well. Andrew Watts who was an H60 pilot. Jack yeah. Carr was a Navy SEAL. Um, there's a number of guys that are following the same path, or I'm following them yeah. uh, with the authenticity. But certainly Tom Clancy is up on that pedestal, the number one guy still, even yeah. though he's passed, still doing well, his, yeah. his organization.
0: Yeah, are you actually um, fame to claim you you've become a number one uh, se- seller on Amazon, number one author mm-hmm. in certain categories. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about like how you got there and and what that does for you if you hit the number one mark?
1: It does. So Amazon has a number of categories that are much larger than they appear. It's not just fiction. They will actually break it down to f- fiction. Then it'll be thriller, then military thriller, or political thriller. Uh, It's not just aviation. It could be aviation history. Mm -hmm. It could be commercial aviation, military aviation. And so Amazon breaks down those those, uh, areas, and I'm able to compete with some of the larger authors from larger New York City-based publishing houses as a small veteran with only three books. And I can compete against a Brad Thor, as an example, in a certain category and beat him. Uh, which is pretty interesting for huh. you know, a single veteran with a very small staff
0: yeah interesting um how, how much strat when you first started writing your books did, did you have a lot of strategy in mind or in place at, at first or did it come about where like okay if the, if i'm ever gonna sell any <laughs> of these books i gotta i gotta up my game a little bit
1: that's exactly what happened actually it was caught completely flat-footed and i was overwhelmed. Uh, I had no idea my books would do well. I just wanted to write to write. I I didn't know if it would take off, and I was a rookie. And after a while, I'm like, "Holy crap! Uh, this book is gaining some momentum." And then it hit number one, and I needed to, to write another book. I needed to stay in in the game, yeah. and I need to get some help. I need some coaching from folks. It's no different than a flight instructor, right? Somebody would help us along and I would struggle with the marketing. I, I didn't know what the deal was in publishing six years ago. And I needed someone to take me under their wing and show me. And and that's exactly what happened. Wow.
0: Um, how long did how long does it typically take you to write a book? Like when you wrote your first one, I think it took maybe about a year. You're writing a couple of pages every morning and about a that's year right. later you had it done. <laughs> Are you are you it getting does. faster at it? Yeah. Like do you get faster and better? Or does it still take about a year to to write a decent book?
1: I, I think that the the feedback, the constructive criticism that I get from those beta readers is uh-huh. very helpful and they tell me that I get better with time. Uh the fans seem to like it. I get more reviews on Goodreads or on Amazon with mm-hmm. time. Um I think that I'm much better from the first draft to the tenth draft. I'll actually track it how many times I've rewritten and it gets to be about 10 times mm-hmm. before I give it to a professional editor yeah. and I'll actually develop a character a little bit more or less. And I actually use a number of different books as references. And if there's any veterans out there who are looking to start this, I would recommend on writing a nonfiction book by Stephen King. Really? Yeah. It's one of his only ones he's ever written. It's called on writing. Uh, again, nonfiction, and it, it discusses how Stephen King goes about writing his fiction books.
0: Oh, no kid! I didn't know you had that. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, phenomenal book. And I use that, and uh, I also use the elements of style, which might scare some vets if they haven't been in a 12th grade English class in a while. <laughs> but I do use that. It certainly have the editor who corrects even my mistakes. I make the mistakes on every page, uh, but they're corrected.
0: Yeah. So, so do you get, do you really get wrapped up in trying to find the exact word or make sure no. the sentence is structured completely right? Or are you just, you know, in the process it's going to get, it'll get fixed.
1: In the process it gets fixed. Um, I do try to capture and develop the characters a little bit more now with time, mm-hmm. perhaps their accent. Like I have a character named Zeke who's a crusty Colonel and he developed a Chicago accent in book two and now it's very thick and very evident in book three. Uh, his mannerism is to always have an, a lit or unlit cigarette in his mouth. That's just something he, he does. <laughs> um, some other characters uh, that I actually used to get from watching people in airports. I would watch their mannerisms or their clothing when I would fly as a passenger. Yeah. And that's like, wow, that is a great, piece of foot gear or that's in a unique hat that that person's wearing. And I would actually, I have a character that wears red wrestling shoes to every event <laughs> <laughs> or, uh, I have another character who's a big nationals fan, which was not popular before they won the world series. Yeah. And no kidding. It's just observing, observing people and being curious is where most of that comes from. Wow. Okay. So
0: let's actually talk about your books. Um, so run down the list with us, how many books you have and what series
1: you have. Would be happy to. So this is all in the Ford Stevens military aviation thriller series, Ford Stevens. And so here's the books. Uh, Number one, the first book I came out with was the devil dragon pilot. The second one is the black scorpion pilot. And on August 25th, 2020, I released my third book, which is the Buffalo pilot. And all three of those are in the same series and all available on amazon.com.
0: And Forge Stevens is the main character?
1: He is. He's my proud reservist. (laughs) He's flown uh, fighters, bombers, and uh, now he's the squadron commander in my old squadron at the C-130 unit, now a 135 unit in Niagara Falls, New York. Awesome.
0: And you have some other series, don't you?
1: I'm working on a second series, Uh which is called the Pentagon Thriller Series, which should be my fourth book, the one I'm writing right now. Uh Awesome.
0: Well, um, so, so cheese, if you're out there um, talking with somebody uh, or if someone's listening to this show and whether it's somebody still in the military or they, or they, you know, they're a veteran now um, and they're looking to, they think they got a book inside of them. Mm -hmm. What kind of advice would you have for them as far as uh, getting started, you know, getting the book written and the business aspects of becoming a publisher or an author?
1: I'd recommend that they read two books. One is called The Artist's Way, which is about being creative or creativity. And the second one I would recommend they read is uh, a play on the art of war, but it's called The War of Art. And both of those books will discuss the creative process for a veteran to get their idea down onto paper. Um, It's not necessarily a checklist, but it's certainly a process that they Mm -hmm. can follow to get that story onto paper and then develop it. And uh, usually life gets in the way. if uh, Kids, a job, bad weather, no power, the virus. uh, And so life has a way of throwing some grenades at us. Mm -hmm. And this puts it into a little bit of structure for a veteran who may want to write. Those two books are terrific. Awesome.
0: And so uh, if we want to check out your books, we can obviously find them on Amazon. And then your website is uh, ColbyAviationThrillers.com.
1: It sure is. Uh, And I'm also available on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Colby Thrillers. And I'd love to uh, have you guys follow me and stay in contact. Awesome.
0: All right, Cheese, thanks for being here and uh, sharing your entrepreneurial author success story. So look forward to your new books coming out and uh, your
1: future success. Thanks, Joe. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you very much. You bet.
0: All right. These two Marines are Oscar Mike. Thank you for listening to Veteran on the Move, your pathfinder to freedom. If you like the show, leave us a review on iTunes. Reviews are always greatly appreciated. So until next time, this veteran is Oscar Mike.